0: (laughs) I was like that Michael J. Fox character and what was that family whatever it was. Family Family ties. Family ties. I'd be walking around the briefcase and my brother and sister just be making fun of me. (laughs) The um, picture of Richard Nixon on your wall. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go that far. I didn't go that far.
1: the Green Rush is real. From lawmakers and investment bankers to CEOs and investors, we'll look at how people are transforming cannabis from the shadows of the black market into a cash crop that draws in cannapreneurs from Hollywood to Wall Street. Here to help you navigate the business of cannabis, please welcome Lewis Goldberg and Anne Donahoe. Brought to you by KCSA Strategic Communications.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahoe, here with my co-host with the most, Lewis Goldberg. Oh. And today we're talking money, cannabis, and getting kicked out of college and living off the grid. One quick note, <laughs> you can please rate and subscribe to The Green Rush on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. We would really appreciate it. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Green so today we're talking with Hadley Ford, the co-founder and CEO of Ianthus Capital. Ianthus owns eight cultivation facilities, five processing facilities, and 41 dispensaries. Um, in addition to that, Ianthus operates in six states. They are public on the Canadian Stock Exchange and they trade under the symbol, symbol IAN. Um, full disclosure, Ianthus is a KCSA client. Um, so now that that's all out of the way, thanks for joining us, Hadley. We're so happy to have you here.
0: Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Appreciate you guys having me on.
2: Yeah. So before we get into the really fun stuff, can you, beyond what I just said, explain what exactly it is that Ianthus does?
0: Sure. We're an owner-operator of uh, licensed cannabis uh, companies across the United States. We're currently in six states. Uh, We have an East Coast addressable market of 48 million people with a weighted average number of competitors of 12. And we think we offer investors a tremendous diversified way to play the growth of the U.S. Uh, cannabis market.
3: So you structured a public vehicle that raises money in Canada and uses that money to fund businesses in the U.S. Um, how do U.S. bankers view you and your company?
0: U.S. Uh, commercial bankers or investment bankers? Cause you get uh, two different views. The commercial bankers side, I think both, people- both sides. Uh, Oh, sure. So the, uh, the commercial banker side, obviously, there's been a lot of stuff written about that. Um, you know, boatloads of cash being wheeled around uh, from one place to another. The commercial banks, um, I don't think they, they really care too much one way or another that uh, we raise money in Canada. And I think most of those guys are driven by uh, some of the federal prohibitions against um, cannabis. On the investment banking side, um, it's a little bit of a different kettle of fish. You've got a number of uh, institutions down here that are exceptionally curious, not, not your big guys. So you will see occasionally the Goldman's and Merrill bankers hanging out at conferences, but the, uh, the smaller guys, you know, it's probably six months away before someone does an underwriting. I think there's a lot of interest. People clearly recognize the growth opportunities and uh, I think the sort of call it second tier scrappier investment banks uh, will be in sometime this year.
3: So the 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 big bank in Canada is Canaccord Genuity. They're the ones who do the majority of the yep. underwriting. Um, with you saying that you think maybe a Roth or a Cowan or somebody of that ilk um, possibly doing uh, uh, an underwriting in the U.S. within six months, what do you think Canaccord's reaction is going to be?
0: Well, Canaccord's been preemptive. They hired uh, they've hired a banker. Specifically for doing U.S. cannabis, they obviously have a presence down here. They uh, they're self-clearing in the U.S. They've got offices. They're a market maker in our stock. Um, you know, I would imagine you probably see more of a partnership piece rather than uh, straight up competition. You know, it is a uh, it's an interesting industry that way. That a lot of the professional services companies. Uh, don't have unfettered competition, so they tend to share information about what works, what doesn't work. So I would imagine if you saw a Cowan or a Roth or someone of that ilk come into the market, they'd probably be alongside a Canaccord in their first or second offering.
2: Um, so I wanna talk intellectual property for a minute. Um, so uh, uh-huh. thanks to the illegality of the US market, currently you can't trademark or copyright your product or manufacture or distribute across state lines. Um, how much IP is there in your business and how, what are you doing now to protect it?
0: Um, there's a lot of IP, obviously uh, know-how and ability to grow and process and um, package and all those good things. Uh, and there's a lot of IP in the brand. Um, you can, uh, you, know, you can protect and consolidate and own IP that, uh, is separate from the actual plant itself. The difficulty you get is when you try and go out and trademark or copyright, the actual name of a strain of cannabis. And because it's against the law from a federal perspective, uh, you're not going to get too far in the copyright uh, office. But if you show up with a way to, uh, do a certain process, or if you show up with a way to, um, do something that's not touching a plant, you know, you'll have much better progress. But we typically don't do that. We just typically take the IP, hold it in a uh, separate company, and then uh, lease that back to our operations.
3: Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so as Ann and I were preparing for this, we, we, we went back into the archives and looked at a lot of what you said. And you, you, you are, you're really eloquent about a lot of things. And you said something that, that really <laughs> caught me. You said, you don't want the man telling you what to do. Why should anyone tell anyone else that they can't grow it or use it and do what they want with it? Um, and you went on from there, but but at the end of the quote, you say, I'm not a user, but I do have a passion around individual rights and helping build helping people build companies. The thing that caught me in, in what you were saying is that you don't use. You know, it's rare that you find somebody in the cannabis industry who is as passionate about the, the industry and is not somebody who ingests in any way do you find that being a challenge because there's a lot you know in other business you do it over the golf course right you, and and business is done there in the cannabis industry it's often done over a joint so how have you found you're <laughs> not using impacted your ability to 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 do business with ianthus
0: well you'd, you'd actually be surprised the number of people who are in this business that aren't regular users um i've been actually surprised You know, I think people recognize that there's different skill sets and I think uh, the secret to success is finding out what people can be really great at, making sure they have the resources and get out of the way. And I think uh, potential partners recognize that, uh, you know, I bring a lot to the table from a capital market strategy balance sheet perspective that uh, can be exceptionally helpful to their passion for the plant and the way they want to build their business. And it's that type of combination that's great. I mean, let's say I was the greatest grower in the world and I wanted to partner with the greatest grower in the world there's no sort of synergy there right it's like what do you need the other person for but if you can take someone who's particularly good at positioning and telling a story and raising capital and combine that with someone who's the greatest grower in the world that's great synergy there's no overlap you get the best of both worlds and i think you know most of the leaders within the cannabis industry are savvy enough to understand that. They're going to be better at things that I'm terrible at and I'm going to be better at things uh, that, that they're not good at. And it makes for a great combination.
2: I think it not- also shows there's the maturing of the marketplace that, you know, the, the the black market is now looking towards business leaders to really understand, you know, how to take this to the next level. And I think that's that it's showing great opportunity and great foresight um, for these companies. So, um, well,
0: that, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great observation. I mean, look, any industry at its its infancy and starting point, which this shift from black market to white market's been over the last whatever number of years. You get a lot of people in who are very passionate that you know they they talk derisively about the suits, but let's face it, it's a fifty billion dollar black market. It's going to be a hundred billion dollar uh, legal market when when all is said and done, and there needs to be professionalism if you're gonna have good high quality products uh, that delight your customers and patients, you need to bring in things like. Six sigma. You need to bring in things right. like, you know, ERP systems. You, you can't manage something if you can't measure it, and that uh, that implies a certain level of professionalism that you know we're starting to see in the industry. It's not widespread, but I'll tell you, there's been a lot of a uh, lot of improvement over the last three years. That well, this- uh, it is definitely moving in that direction.
3: And with hundreds of companies being public, you have to behave if you're going to get the valuations and we're going to talk about this, but if you're going to get the valuations that you want and you're going to survive as a public company, you have to behave not as a cannabis public company, just as a public company. So I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that you're, you're, you know, modeling for a lot of other companies.
0: Well, that's, you know, that's absolutely right. I mean, being a public company, um, it has uh, its positives, it has its negatives. I think one of the positives is the uh, requirement for disclosure, transparency, uh, truth. Um, and that uh, that bright light is uh, something that I think any industry that you know, wants to have access to growth capital and grow up, uh, meeting those types of, um, those rules are important.
2: So that's actually a good spot to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're talking with Hadley Ford, the co-founder and CEO of Ianthus Capital.
1: More Green
4: Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Work. CannabisRadio.com
0: Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Cannaradio, C-A-N-N-A radio on Twitter.
3: the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times.
4: Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crop, channel. You know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
1: Banking and Buds. Understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush. Only on CannabisRadio.com. So we are
3: back uh, on the Green Rush. We're talking with Hadley Ford, the CEO of Ianthus. Um, so you were an aspiring engineer before being thrown out of the University of Rochester. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you why, but you. But after that, you spent a lot of time. I kind of want to take, know. Well, we can ask <laughs> you later. Uh, but you, 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 you were in Europe. You lived on the streets, um, literally, as a performer doing magic tricks and juggling. Um, what lessons did busking teach you that you've applied to being a CEO uh, it, it must be you know a, a sales or something like what, what did what did that give you
0: <laughs> well I actually refer to a, a story that Lee Trevino told uh, the golfer Hall of Fame golfer uh, It was popular back in the 60s and seven I forget what major tournament he was in but he had like a six-foot putt to win the major tournament and he made the putt and he won the tournament. And the guy comes up afterwards and says, you know, Mr. Chavino, you got the six foot putt to win the Masters or whatever. That you must have felt a lot of stress and pressure before you struck that ball and, and won. He said, no, I didn't feel any stress or pressure. He goes, I'll tell you what stress and pressure is, is when you're a caddy and you're out and you're playing one of the guys that you caddy with for 20 bucks and you're on the 18th hole. And if you miss the putt, you don't have the 20 bucks in your pocket. That's what stress and pressure is about. And, you know, if you, if you are out as a street performer for four or five years like I was, you know, a lot of times you wake up in the morning you didn't know where you're getting your money for a meal that day. So dealing with that type of uncertainty, dealing with that unknown um, piece that's sort of out there in a given day, that's what an entrepreneur does. You know, any given day, I don't know what challenge we're gonna have to solve for, but that ability to be flexible and that ability to actually trust in yourself, trust in your team, trust in the people around you, to solve it and get it done. That's probably the most valuable lesson I picked up by traveling around and juggling and doing all that magic stuff.
3: What made you happier being the CEO of a public cannabis company or actually performing on the street?
0: Uh, being CEO of a public cannabis company, you know, I think the, uh, when you're performing on the streets, you really can only impact yourself, really impact a couple of people who are watching you. When you're the CEO of a public cannabis company, you have an opportunity to impact patients, customers, uh, shareholders, you're. Community in which you're you're actually doing all this in your employees, your partners, uh, the ability to change and affect things for society more broadly is much greater. And I think uh, any anyone who's an entrepreneur just wants that uh, opportunity option to uh, uh, to affect that change. And I I couldn't be happier from the seat that I'm sitting in now. That
2: I think all of your shareholders just breathed a sigh of relief that uh, <laughs> juggling wasn't the answer to <laughs> <for> that question. <laughs> yeah, that was softball. <laughs> Um, so let's talk U.S. versus Canada. Um, you've said, uh-huh. uh, and I'm going to quote, I'm going to throw your words right back at you. Uh, the U.S. markets are three years behind Canada in capital formation. I would expect the next three yep. years for the U.S. to look more like the Canadian market. So do you still think that?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it is still illegal in the United States. So you don't have, uh, you don't have any major law firms, accounting firms, and banks, commercials. They're on the sidelines. In Canada, you know, you probably don't have your biggest funds investing in it. You're missing kind of the, the top banks, um, but you've got all your major law firms, all your major, uh, major accounting firms. You do have a whole host of small to mid-sized institutions are involved in. You have salespeople, you have traders. You know, it's a re- a very fully functioning capital market um, very sophisticated, very smart on the industry, and that that's uh, you know, still way ahead of where we are in the US. Now you're starting to see some interest down here, as I mentioned before, some of the mid-sized investment banks are looking at it. Um, you know, we've probably got half a dozen institutional investors uh, who've bought our stock, but we're still well behind the uh, Canadian markets from a capital formation perspective.
2: And in terms of valuation, so companies like uh, Canopy, Med Relief, Aurora, and yours—you all trade on the Canadian stock exchanges, um, the uh, mm-hmm. the CSC and the TSX. Um, the yep. valuations and uh, between the Canadian companies and for the U.S. listed companies are very different. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but why do you think that is?
0: Well, I think people are still uncomfortable with the federal illegality in the United States. You know, my own view is you shouldn't be spending your time, money, energy in this business. We don't think it's going to be regular way. So my guess is if you're an investor, you're getting a free call option. Whatever you invest in the United States right now, you know it will accrete to a normal valuation at some point because ultimately we will have a legal market in the United States. You know, the, the flip side of that is, hey, we're going back to the bad old dark days. I don't think anyone thinks that's going to happen. So, you know, I think the, uh, the US uh, the investment opportunity, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, so, you know, does that he, that mean- he, can, he can dream all he wants? So for investors,
3: should they be shorting than the the Canadian stocks? Because if you look at the, the 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 income, you know there are companies in the. US who have similar or bigger income than Aurora or, or canopy on a quarterly basis. Yeah. and the valuations are a hundredth the size. Would you be shorting? Yeah. You, you know amongst us chickens, would you be shorting these guys?
0: Well, you know, look, people have to make their own trading strategies, and I do think that many of the Canadians have good uh, good opportunity and you know frankly, it is a lower risk it's, a, it's not against the law up there. so from a risk adjusted portfolio perspective, you know if I were running money, I'd probably have uh, some of my portfolio in the Canadians are going to give you probably a lower return over time, but with less risk, less volatility, and that's probably the appropriate return you'd want. But I would clearly have uh, some overweighting into the U.S. market. So yeah, you might you might lighten up a little bit on the Canadian side. You might overweight the U.S. side because you know you're going to get that accretion through time from an investment perspective. Um, but you know, I wouldn't short the whole sector in Canada. It's it's legal. It's viable. You've got great guys up there, and they're going to make a lot of money for their investors. And
3: had you said yes I'm sure the guys up there would not have been very happy when they heard this so I was a very well said
0: <laughs> I'm sorry for getting in that position. No but it, look, I, I look I look at it you know, I call it as I see it it's they're sort of like yeah other companies you should probably shorten Canada <laughs> sure there's a lot of companies in the US you should short as well you know it's it's really about uh diligencing the team. I'm a big believer in picking the jockey, not the horse. You know, that's why I think we've got a great team. I think we can execute. We bring a lot of expertise from outside of cannabis and we bring that expertise to bear and the professionalism of the, uh, of the transition in, in cannabis. And um, I think people can make a lot of money in our stock, but you know, they're going to make some money in, uh, in Canada as well
3: so you, your strategy of raising money in canada and then spending it in the us is really brilliant um <laughs> i think i mean i'm not i'm, I'm not, not saying that cuz sure, I'm, really
0: sure, I'm not sure i'm not sure i'm not sure i've not sure i've heard my name and brilliant the same sentence before but it's very kind no, no, and no, no, thank you i didn't you, say I appreciate your name it. i just said
3: you but but um <laughs> but no it is it's really it's really smart um you know, the TSX turned off the spigot, right? The, the Toronto Stock Exchange said that they are no longer allow companies to list on their market and raise capital in Canada if they have exposure physically in the U.S. Um, and that has been a boon to the Canadian Stock Exchange. Um, what do you think that this is going to do in general, both for the CSE and then overall for the ability for U.S. companies to raise institutional money in Canada?
0: Well, the Canadian Securities Exchange is uh, open for business from a, a trading perspective. So, you know, anyone who wants to list can list there. And they're very supportive and they're very good. You get great execution there. Um, and I do think there's been a lot of clarity from the OSC, the CSA, CDS, that um, the OSC will continue to clear prospectus, CDS will continue to clear securities. So I think that uh, access to U.S. companies is still viable in Canada. I think the the road will be a lot more... Uh, difficult. I think the OSC will have a real magnifying glass out and you have to make sure disclosure is good, but the market should broadly be open. What I really like, and I don't quite understand it, you've got all these Canadian giants, I mean multi-billion dollar companies with great IP portfolios, technology, hundreds of millions of dollars cash on the balance sheet, and they're in a market with 36 (laughs) million people competing against 89 other players, and they're looking at the United States, the largest cannabis market on the planet, and if I'm a shareholder of one of those Canadian companies, I'm like, screw it. Like, delist from the TSX, list on CSE, and go spend some money in the United States. But they're not doing it, and I'm very happy they're not, because I don't have to compete against them. If the giants are at the border, and the, and the market's wide open for Ianthus to go state by state. So if I'm a shareholder of one of those large Canadian companies, I, I'm just gonna say to them, hey, why are you sitting on the sidelines, delist from the TMX, and um, or TSX, uh, TSXV and list on the CSE and go into the United States. It's the largest market in the world. You have a huge balance sheet. You've got tons of cash. You've got great IP, but they're not doing it. And I'm very happy they're not. You've got all these giants on the border that could be competing for great properties here in the US, but they're not. And that leaves the market wide open for a company like IANTHIS to go state by state by state and build out a uh, an oligopoly type network.
3: So I think that's a good place for us to take another break. Uh, We are talking with Hadley Ford, the CEO of Ianthus, and you're listening to The Green Rush.
1: More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors.
0: company on the OTC, symbol MCIG.
4: At Alternative Vibes, our core values of quality, loyalty, respect, and honesty guides us in our mission to help families find peace and harmony through our products and services. Whether you are looking for a more natural way of living, shopping essential oils, topicals and edibles, or searching for a path towards achieving your goals, we are your choice. Learn more about our complete line of natural products and solutions at alternativevibes.com. Bringing quality of living to life. alternativevibes.com. In as little as four weeks, bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four week build excludes high production systems.
1: Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back. I'm Lewis Goldberg with Ann Donahoe the hostess with the most mostess um, and you are listening to the Green Rush so Hadley recently you guys bought Sativa in New York State and New York is by any measure a failed cannabis market um, why would you buy in New York now?
0: Well I'm not sure what you mean by a failed cannabis market. you're talking about a failed medical program that was launched with uh, not a lot of indications three years ago then I'd agree with you but as a cannabis market I think think you may have seen that it was recently uh listed as the number one cannabis market on the planet more cannabis is purchased in new york than in any other city uh on the globe and it is going to be an unbelievable market um from a medical perspective it's only going to expand You're only going to have more indications more ingestion methods Uh, at some point the state's going to have to go full wreck you're going to have full wreck in massachusetts you're going to have full wreck in new jersey and the new york market's going to have to move in that direction so we see it as um you know a patient strategy. We got in at a very reasonable price with some great partners, uh, and we'll bide our time. And at some point in the next uh, you know two, three, four years, I think that markets gonna be one of the best in the uh, United States, if not the world.
2: We actually spoke with uh, New York State Senator Liz Krueger um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe even last week, time flies. Um, and so if if she has anything to do with it, um, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later, New York will see wreck actually happen. Um, so, I'm gonna take a little left turn here. Cannabis is actually a family business for you. Can you talk about how your other family members are
0: involved? Oh, sure. Well, it goes back uh, to my mother and father back in the 60s. We had a little, um, little tiny farm in Connecticut that uh, you know, we grew Christmas trees on, had a little truck farm, vegetables, stuff like that. And there was a piece of the, uh, uh, the, the back acre that had what my mother told my grandmother were French marigolds. So we, we had a crop <laughs> <laughs> a true That's story. A meme. Typically, typically, <laughs> typically, the neighborhood kids would wait until the uh, the harvest. Are ready. they come in and steal all the plants and irritate the hell out of my parents. Um, but then years, wait, so you grew years up later,
3: and you don't use.
0: Yeah, well, it's, you well, know, so str- stranger you're, you're things awesome. have happened. It's true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I was like that Michael J. Fox character and what was that family whatever it was. Family, no, I was, I was family wa- Ties. Family Ties. I'd be walking around with the briefcase and my brother and sister just be making fun of me. But, <laughs> the picture um, of Richard Nixon on your, on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go that far. I didn't go that far. Um, but you know you fast forward years later my brother um, uh, was in media. And he was living in New Mexico. He had a pretty good a little sort of ad agency and the cannabis stuff came along. And he thought, oh, this would be fun. He sat down at his kitchen table, applied for a license and got one. Uh, he's now the largest market share provider in the state. Um, about a year or two after that, they, they came up with a medical program in Vermont. So my brother helped my sister launch that and she got a license. But one of the things that they, you know, we used to, you know, brothers and sisters, we talk on the phone, you know, every couple of weeks and one of the things that they always said was a problem was access to money and they would describe the business to me and I'd say but this seems ludicrous to me that you can't get a bank to lend you money is big cash flowing businesses but you couldn't so I got involved uh, with my partner Randy to really initially solve that capital formation problem and then it morphed from there into really just being an owner and operator ourselves So my brother and sister uh, were uh, co-founders of the company as well uh, they're actually partners of ours uh, in Vermont and New Mexico, and that's really where it all came about from.
2: I'm sorry. I still love the idea of you also grew up on a Christmas tree farm. Um, <laughs> kind of my dream.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll tell you an amusing story about that one time. The, the customers would come in and they would tag their tree with a little orange uh, ribbon, and then you know, my father would go out and cut it down later for them. Um, and one time I was about six or seven years old and I was walking through it and I saw these orange ribbons I, and I was like, what are all these orange ribbons doing on the trees? And I took them all off. <laughs> <laughs> my, father, my father had no idea whose Christmas tree was whose. <laughs> oh, that's, that is.
3: Wow. That's great. Um, so we are at the segment of the show that we do with everybody, which is Puff Puff Pass. Um, just rapid fire, two things that you love about the industry and one thing that's driving you nuts.
0: Uh, I love the size. I love the opportunity. Um, I think the piece that drives me nuts is really all the regulatory rigmarole you have to do, you know, state by state without any federal uh, oversight to it. So the illegality on a federal basis just causes all sorts of problems that we shouldn't have to face.
3: And that is the winner, by the way, for anybody who's heard the podcast in the past, the single fastest puff puff pass (laughs) in the history of the show. which was awesome. No, and I thought, which, by the way, I thought I exactly ta- how we
0: envisioned. I thought I was taking my time.
3: <laughs> oh no, that's how we envisioned it. I mean, we've had guys who've been like 45 minutes later and my second puff is, you know, it's like, no, 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 it's <laughs> <laughs> um, are there well, you know, if
0: you can and if you if, if you can if you can't, if you can't put it on the back of a business card, you can't sell it, you can't sell it, you can't raise money, you can't raise money, you don't have a business. So, you got to be laser laser focused no matter what you do. That's the key to success. Ideas are a dime a dozen execution that's what takes you over the finish line
3: that that was awesome and i think that is a perfect spot for us to end. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we've been speaking with Hadley Ford, uh, the CEO of Ianthus. And to learn more about him and check out the company, please go to ianthuscapital.com, which is I-A-N-T-H-U-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. On Twitter, it's at Ianthus Capital. And the stock trades on the Canadian Exchange uh, at C-N-S-X, and the ticker symbol is I-A-N. Uh, Thank you, uh, as always, to Nick Opich for helping produce this uh, and Brasco Over the Top Rope for helping produce this podcast. Um, If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Comms, as well as at kcsa.cannabis.com. And we will have some big news about that coming up shortly, by the way. Um, You can drop us an email um, at greenrush at KCSA. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe. Press that little button up there on your iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this. Um, we appreciate it and uh, have a great day, everybody.
4: The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.